Welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast, brought to you by Future Frogmen, a nonprofit organization working to protect our ocean. I'm John Sherbin, the show's producer, and today's episode features Andrew Colabella, a driven young individual who explains how he teamed up with others to propose and enact groundbreaking legislation that successfully banned single-use plastics in a Connecticut town's restaurants and businesses. If you give it a listen, you'll learn how you can do the same in your own communities. For more information, check out futurefrogmen.org and look for us on social media at Future Frogmen. Let's get into it. Andrew, welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast. Hello, hello. How are you? Doing well, Andrew. How about yourself? Doing fine. Been watching this election very closely, and it's kind of nice to take a break and talk about something a little more positive. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Well, I'm, I'm like super excited to, uh, to, to speak with you um, at Future Frogmen. One of the things we say is that we aim to improve public awareness and to close gaps between human understanding and destructive behavior. And as I reread that in preparation for today's call, it, you know, it occurred to me uh, there's a lack of understanding and there's also a lot of destructive behavior, maybe not intentionally, but unknowingly. And one area of our focus happens to be plastic pollution. We look at climate change, plastic pollution, and species survival are our three strategic pillars. So I'm really excited to have you as our guest so we can learn more about the Plastic Pollution Project, uh, which you are a co-founder of. I believe you guys call it P3 as well. Yep, we call it P3. So, Andrew, before we go to P3, uh, can you tell us about your your background and, and how you got to where you are today? Well, I've been in Westport my entire life, so 31 years now. I started working for municipalities when I was 15 years old, and I actually started lifeguarding with your son down at Campo Beach. And every morning, um, we would start work at 10 a.m. and go until 6 p.m. But in the first shift, I was always on B shift. So A shift, we would have to do a trash pick. Five lifeguards, three go one way, two go the other way. Um, and we had always noticed that the amount of trash that we had been picking up on the shore was extremely, um, it wasn't just devastating, but it was disturbing too. We think about the amount of garbage that was coming up on the beach, considering you were in, it's Long Island Sound, you have a lot of harbor life and aquatic life that is at threat, but you also have a lot of traffic in that area. So it had always been in the back of my head. And after a long day of being in the sun, going out to dinner with my family, I'd always end up at nice restaurants. And I always would always would always order a drink and they would always put a straw in my drink. And here I am each time. It became a repetitious behavior. I think I was around 17 or 18 years old and I was at the Mansion Clam House and my parents asked me, why do you keep pulling your straws out of your drink to drink from. I go, why would I need a straw to drink from that I'm only going to be using for three to four minutes at the most part when I have a glass that I could sip from? And they're like, oh, it's for sanitary purposes. Well, if you're if you don't want to drink from the glass, then maybe you shouldn't be eating off the utensils, the plates. I mean, what's the point here? I didn't know that I was on the brink of something. So as I progressed in life through working in my municipalities, I went from working as a lifeguard to head of uh, guest services for Campo Beach, going to college. I started at Fairfield University, 
transferred to NCC for uh, cost purposes because it was just so much cheaper and so much easier. And then eventually I matriculated to UConn, but not before that. I was in a business law class and applied for an internship with the governor. Didn't think I was going to get it. Got it. I was an intern for State Representative Thomas Reynolds of the 42nd District, Senator Edith Prague, who has been there since the dawn of time. And I got to work with uh, Governor Jody Rell from 2009 to 2011, worked with the Department of Public Safety. Um, my research was at that time was on law enforcement and uh, budget analysis comparison and cost adjustments to uh, public safety. From there, once the internship ended, I had a taste of politics. I had a taste of ethics. I had a taste of uh, being able to deal with humans that I didn't know their names when they first called me, didn't know who they were, where they were from. But once they told me their names and who they were, where they were from and their problem, I became hooked. So public service immediately caught me right there at age 22. So I graduated college from UConn and I'm sitting here. All right, now I have to get a job. What am I going to do? So I had to leave the town of Westport because they weren't offering any full-time jobs and benefits. And I love my town. I've, I want to be here for the rest of my life. That's a whole nother story though. So I found a way to do that. And I got a job with the city of Norwalk and I've been there six and a half years now. During that time, I was driving to and from work every day. I was empty. I was missing something. I was not happy. And I'm like, what is it? I couldn't figure out what it was. And then dawned on me. I have no involvement in my town. I literally leave in the morning, come back at night, and I don't know what went on in town. Who just moved? Uh, what issues are they having? Uh, the, the issues with the parks? Uh, what's going on down at the beach? And a lot of people had all these questions and they didn't have anyone to ask. And with my experience, I was always finding myself down at the beach on weekends talking to people. And Dan Woog of 06880 wrote a blog saying the RTM, the representative town meeting, which is a nonpartisan body made up of 36 members in Westport, is uh, holding an election like they do every two years. And I thought to myself, I think I could do this. I, I think I can. And Dan was like, you should do it. I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I went home, told my parents, and they were like, you're going to run for office. I was like, yeah, I, I could totally do this. So Long story short, I ran unopposed and won, and I've been on the RTM now for three years. I'm on my second term. I sit on five committees currently. I sit on Environment Committee, Public Works, Public Protection, Health and Human Services, and I also sit on, oh, what is the other one? Oh, Environment. I'm sorry. It's four committees. So the four, so the four committees that I sit on are Environment, Public Protection, Public Works, and Health and Human Services. And when I got elected in 2017, I decided to go to every meeting for each committee that I was on, like you should, and committees that I wasn't on because I wanted to know how some of these committees worked. And I just happened to go to Environment Committee, and I wasn't on it at the time. So long story short, Catherine Calise had just uh, left the RTM. They had an opening for environment and I'm sitting there and they go, would you like to join? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I would love to. I've actually, I have a lot of ideas actually about environment and they go, well, tell us something that you're willing to work on, something that you could bring to the environment committee, something that you're interested in researching. And 
I mentioned pesticides and then the uh, and then last I was like but really what I'm really focusing on is I cannot stand single use plastics and that's where it started that was February of 2018 and from then on I went into the whole research of single use plastics we're just beginning, but it's a great story already. And and for those listeners, uh, I want to make uh, it clear. Uh, Andrew's talking about Westport, Connecticut. So we're in southwestern Connecticut on Long Island Sound. Uh, that's what Andrew was talking about. And uh, he also talked about a great uh, local blog that is written here by a fellow named Dan Woog. And uh, uh, the zip code in Westport is 06880. So uh, that's the name of the blog. And uh, that's what Andrew was uh, was talking about there. So how did P3 come about? So after I had gone to the Environment Committee meeting and I discussed that I wanted to do single-use plastics research, I went home and I started researching. And what got me into it was a video that went viral. It was a turtle. And it was picked up by a couple of, uh, I think it was marine biologists at the time. And they had discovered that a straw was jammed up its nostril. And as they were pulling it out, the turtle was making these god-awful sounds and bleeding. And I mean, it, it hit me real bad. I, I sound really dumb when I say this. I, could, I did not know turtles could bleed. I've never seen a turtle in the wild that was you know bleeding usually you find them alive or you find them rarely you find them dead and they're just they're just a, a carcass that's it you don't see anything so it you could see the pain in the turtle's eyes and it it bothered me that this is what this is because of us we had been taken advantage of a frivolous product of single use plastics and, it, and this is the damage that we are causing to the earth Right then, my research just shot off. I started looking at single-use plastics. I was looking at straws. I was looking at utensils. I was looking at cups, mugs, uh, plates. I was looking at containers. Single-use plastic containers are a nightmare for me. And it, it got to the point where I started getting this pla it's plastic anxiety. At that time, there was a word that was coined in 2018, microplastics a word that had never been used, had never been thought of, and never been discovered. And I started reading about that. This is probably around um, March. And I'm discovering that these microplastics, you obviously cannot see, are not only ending up in the water, they're ending up in, our, in the food chain, food supply, and humans are actually eating it because it can actually travel in air. It gets in the pastures that livestock eat, and to some who are meat eaters, they are eating the livestock that contains these microplastics. And it's also being discovered in plantations where fruits and vegetables come from. So we're actually eating this and not even knowing. And I started looking at cancer research, how cancer has been progressively increasing the last couple of decades at an alarming rate. And when you think about plastics, plastics contain styrene, they contain um, a, a polystyrene, they contain natural resources that are non-renewable, a lot of chemicals and products that are man-made. And half the time, you don't even know what's in them. But that explains why the products are able to have such durability and strength and to outlast the human, the average human lifespan by nine times. 
they're seeing products being able to last over 500 years. Yes, there's the argument that we have that plastics have only been around for 100 years, but through the tests and the weathering that scientists have been discovering by speeding up its, um, its lifespan, it is over, well over 500 years. So once I started seeing this research, I went to a restaurant called Terrain, and I was looking at everything on their table, and everything was reusable, but glass and metal. And they had a plastic straw. And I asked them, I go, I was like, I don't want a straw. And they go, you don't? And I go, no, as a matter of fact, I don't think anyone should have a straw. And right then and there, I'm thinking to myself, why am I making choices for other people like this who do want to benefit from it? I was like, I'm being rude. I sounded like I'm being rude. So then I met uh, Jessica Benston, who's the head chef of Terrain. And I told her, I was like, have you guys thought about using like paper straws or so they did. And I thought to myself, this could be a campaign turned into a campaign as the months of March, April, May went along. I visited every restaurant in Westport by June. I had anywhere from 40 to 48 restaurants and I ended up at uh, Liz Milwee's house. Now Liz Milwee is a former RTM representative from district four that I'm from. And little did I know that it was the four representatives from District 4 in 2009 that passed the single-use plastic bag ban, the first single-use plastic bag ban east of the Mississippi. I had gone to her house to discuss what I was on and what I was doing. She had heard what I was doing. There were um, people have been commenting on uh, Dan Woog. People had been commenting on Westport Front Porch about single-use plastics and how there's this young individual that has been spearheading it. And Liz got a hold of me. I went to her house and she goes, you need to write this down, Andrew. You need to write this. And I'm like, I, I don't, what do you mean write it down? Like write down what I did? She goes, no, write it down in law form. And I went, okay, it's July 2nd. It's Westport Fireworks. I went home and I wrote the ordinance. I found copy versions of ordinances and I wrote it in a way where it would dictate single use plastics and I left it alone. I couldn't go back to it because I didn't think it was ready. I continued with my campaign up to 50, 60 restaurants now. And anyone can tell you campaigns, they don't last forever. The public, their memory is short. Trends are very fast, they grow exponentially and then they subside. And I had to find a way to carry out this trend. I didn't want it to stop. I didn't want it to end. And I didn't want to do all this work for nothing. So at some point, I was contacted by a parent in the Westport Public School System. And it was Greg Naughton. Greg Naughton has a son that attends Saugatuck Elementary School. During this time, Ashley Moran an amazing Westport Public School teacher for Saugatuck Elementary and Westport resident, had been teaching students about single-use plastics, recycling, how to have zero waste. And Greg's son was, uh, Greg's son Owen, adorable kid, probably going to be a future senator one day, was coming home every day telling his parents, Dad, I, I don't, I don't want to go to that restaurant. They, they serve plastic straws and plastic utensils, and they're bad. And Greg started getting into it. He was like, we have a serious problem here. So Greg had reached out 
I believe, to town hall. And it was, yes, it was Patty Strauss in the town clerk's office, who was retiring this year, amazing woman, and directed him to me. And we met at uh, Garlic and Herbs in Saugatuck, and we sat down and we discussed how he wanted to get involved. He wanted to do something, and it was a calling for me. I needed support. I needed people that I could trust to work with me. And it became a team and it became a team effort. It went from something that I started to something that was carried out by a group. It was, it takes a village to clean a village, but it takes a town to lead the world. This team of myself, Greg Naughton, Ashley Moran, and Liz Milwee founded P3. P3 stands for the Plastic Pollution Project. And the Plastic Pollution Project was not only a campaign, but was a nonprofit 504 organization that raised money for single-use plastic awareness. The sole purpose was to get the word out, to let not just Westport know, but let the world know that Westport is going to lead again with reducing single-use plastics, helping increase zero tolerance, zero, not only zero tolerance for these horrible products, but uh, zero waste initiatives, which goes in accordance with uh, Westport's Net Zero 2050 plan. Westport Net Zero 2050 was a plan that was signed on and enacted by Jim Marpy, our first selectman. It is compromised of, I believe, I think it's up to a thousand towns. And by 2050, the town is supposed to be net zero. So no fossil fuels, no waste no carbon emissions. It's promoting a healthy, safe world for, for generations to come. And from there, plastic pollution was created at Garlic and Herbs with me and Greg, Ashley and Liz. And from there, it took off. So along the way, there must have been some hurdles and even possibly some setbacks. Can you share any anything there? Yeah, actually, um, when I wrote the ordinance, I had shared it with Alicia Mosian, who is on the Conservation Commission. She's been on the Conservation Commission over 37 years. She was there when Westport was facing a nuclear power plant to be developed on Kakini Island. And she was one of the many people who stood out there and protested and successfully kept a nuclear power plant from being developed in Westport. I can't even imagine what that would have been like on the shoreline. It's just, I've, it's terrible. But I had shared a copy of the ordinance with her and I wanted her to see it. And she took it, she read it, she had some questions and we had developed it. During one of the Conservation Commission meetings, there was an individual who will remain anonymous on the board who was very eager and excited to work on single-use plastics. And during one of the meetings, Alicia Mosin had announced, oh, we have this wonderful young RTM man named Andrew Colabella. He actually wrote an ordinance. He has been campaigning, going to establishments, trying to get him to switch over. And little did I know, she and a couple other people were working against me. I had no idea at the time. Uh, there were a couple of her friends who had actually emailed me saying how they could uh, help. And I said, yeah, there are 
these certain places that I haven't gone to yet that I'm going to. And they go, well, that's great. We'd like for you to come join us. And I was like, I'm not sure what you're looking to establish, but I'm actually looking to establish an ordinance, not just the campaign. And they had questions about the ordinance. And I said, well, I'm not going to share it yet because one, I can't. Two, it's not official. Three, hasn't even been shared with the town yet. And four, knowing that something is going to be a discussion on the RTM, to me, it would be unethical for me to disperse it to the public without having public discussion at the time. July 27th, I woke up, went to work, and I get this horrible email from this individual who took my ordinance, rewrote it, even left some of my sentences, my ideas in it, had called other towns about it and rewrote it and said that this is a horrible ordinance. You missed the point. The grammar is poor and the thought process is off. This is not how you do an ordinance. I'm going to be putting my own ordinance forth. And I said, first off, it's a rough draft. Secondly, I don't know how you got it. Thirdly, it's none of your business. It really wasn't. And it got ugly on the email chain. And Luckily, the people on the RTM, Board of Finance, Board of Education, and Selectman's Office were all sticking up for me because I was at work. I've, for those who don't know, I work for Public Works for the city of Norwalk. I'm in a manual intensive labor job. I was doing construction jobs and I had to step away from my phone and work while people were sticking up for me. And I'm very thankful for this body that I'm elected to. And they went after her for belligerently just taking me down. She was completely inappropriate. She had said some very nasty things on that chain. And it, it just, it got ugly real fast. And I remember one of the RTM members calling me and telling me, you know, this is going to turn into a, into a who? And I go, a who? This is going to turn into a Hollywood move. He's like, what's that? And I go, a Hollywood move is when someone sees something that is growing and trending and they want to be the star and they want to have name recognition they want to have credibility they almost want to they almost want to look for fame and if you ever do anything in life and that's all you're looking for you are not doing it for the right reasons you are not doing it for the right purpose a public administrator or an elected official should always abide and practice neutral values with the end goal to have the least amount of consequences and, and threats and weaknesses in the short term and long term. So it's what's best for the public. It shouldn't benefit you. It should benefit everyone. What you do in law and life has to benefit everyone. And it was a handful of these people, and then I was alone at this time until I had met Greg, Liz, and Ashley. And it was really disturbing. I mean, it, it threw me off for a couple of days, and I said to myself, I got to hand this ordinance in, because if they hand it in before me, I'm, I'm done. I've literally done all the foundation and the work, and they're going to take all the credit. I handed it in. And I continued to campaign and I continued to get more restaurants. I mean, I was visiting places quicker than these people could get out of their houses with their ideas. I, I had swept the whole town. I had over 80 establishments at that time. They had already signed on with me. And luckily, uh, some of the establishments that they went to were even telling them, um, 
we have already been approached by a young individual. He has spoken to our staff. We are already enacting these practices. He has even given us a worksheet to display how our business would reduce uh, product inventory uh, use, expand inventory lifespan, reduce overhead and costs, and even reduce our waste. And it got them angry. It did. I mean, it was, I was hearing about it and it was, it was nasty. And when I met Greg Naughton, he got me to be like, he goes, listen, he goes, forget about them. They, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And if, if anyone has ever heard of Greg Naughton, um, he's the lead singer for the Sweet Remains. He is type C, calm, cool, relaxed. And he just knows, he knows how to talk to people. And he's so, yeah, I, I learned a lot from him. So that was one hiccup that I had. And surprisingly, in politics, that was the only hiccup that I had that really drove me nuts. That's an interesting story. <laughs> and and uh, you just said politics, because that's what I was thinking along the way here, you know, politics. Uh, but it's an interesting story, because instead of somebody fighting against you, they were actually just trying to kind of, like you said, take credit for it. So I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have imagined that. Um, I would have imagined more like pushback, but it, it wasn't really that. It was something different. Yeah, and this uh, this person, they've been in town like a few years. I have respect for people who come to town that are new, but they were trying to throw their weight around and make the town the way that they wanted it to be without regard to others. And one of them was actually a celebrity, I will not say their name, who had spoken to me on the phone and was very interested in what I was doing. And I had expressed a lot of information that I knew and had, and I think that's where it went to. And I've had people on the RTM who know these individuals who came to me and told me, listen, you can't trust them. They are, they're looking to work against you. They are looking to use their celebrity platform to make this a larger issue. And they are also looking to glam on to the celebrity. And that celebrity has understood since then what they were trying to do. And they cut all connections with them, actually. It was it was ugly. I mean, I know politics can get ugly, but not like this. This was it was disgusting. Yeah. Seems kind of backwards. I wouldn't like I say I wouldn't have imagined that that you would have told me that story. I would have thought, no, we're, we 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 don't support you know, reduction of single-use plastics and, and so forth, no. but that wasn't the case. Now, now, what happened? You So you, you handed in the uh, your, your final version, and uh, what happened there? Because one, one reason I'm really interested in, in you sharing this story is not only because uh, it's a great success story of, of an important subject, but I'm hoping that other communities around the country and even around the world can learn from it learn from your experience and uh, the challenges and uh, any any sort of tips. So what happened? You wrote that and you and what, what happened after that? Well, in politics, there is policy, procedure and process. There was a process. I handed it in. It was done. The other people couldn't hand anything in. It wasn't going to be discussed. Their efforts were duly noted and sayonara. And we had the first reading in October on the RTM. A first reading is a brief reading of the purpose of the ordinance. 
And ordinances don't get passed that often. An ordinance is a piece of town legislation that is enacted where in accordance with state and federal laws, it doesn't procure other um, state and federal laws that can be enacted for the sole purpose of not just enforcement, but for a better way of living. That's how I see ordinances. It's to improve our surroundings, it's to improve the town, improve life. And we had the first reading, and immediately there, the Madam Moderator, uh, Dr. Velma Heller, had looked at the ordinance and said, well, of the 16 committees in town, this will go to Environment Committee, this will go to Ordinance Committee, and then if it passes both, it will end up at the RTM again. So it went to Environment Committee. We made some changes to the actual ordinance. We had to change the language around a little bit. There was some discrepancies about what I was trying to ban, and it was everything. It wasn't just straws. And at that time on the West Coast, Malibu, Oxnard, Santa Monica, Portland, and a handful of towns on the West Coast had already passed no single-use straws at restaurants. That was it. What is the problem with that? The problem that they had and they were facing, and and this was something that I discovered in July, and I created what's called an inclusionary exemption. Those who are handicapped and disabled should have the right and the ability to a plastic straw for the purposes of that. The durability of the product is bendable, but also it'll retract to its original shape and state. Paper, it cannot do that. I have neighbors and relatives who have suffered from uh, Parkinson's that the plastic straw is very helpful. It actually is. So what I created was in my ordinance that yes, plastic straws are banned. However, those who are handicapped or disabled have the right to a plastic straw. So in this inclusionary exemption, I gave restaurants the ability to keep up to I believe it was two boxes of 200 plastic straws per count. Why did I choose that? I chose that because the most popular straw product that is purchased is a single box of 200 straws. And at the time, a lot of restaurants had already started using up. They had already switched over to certain products and they had all these products left over. So I was going into restaurants again and going, listen, your plastic straws, do not throw them out, save them. So not only will you save on inventory again, you will have a product that you've already purchased that you can use and expand the inventory lifespan much greater. It's taking a dollar and stretching it. And restaurants and establishments across Westport were actually saving money on this business practice. So this was something that had been highlighted in Environment Committee and people were very enthusiastic about. It passed Environment uh, unanimously. And then... Ordinance Committee. The Ordinance Committee is comprised of nine members, one representative per district, and a lot of the people on the Ordinance Committee are lawyers. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I have no legal background. And when I went into that meeting, you feel like you're getting, it's like the Tower of Terror. You're just getting pulled apart in different directions. You're on a board and your arms and legs are getting stretched out. But in this case, the legislation, it's getting stretched, it's getting crossed, it's getting highlighted, it's getting ripped. 
and or, or can or may this there your 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 it's just it became a grammatical battle between the uh, members now as the sponsor of the ordinance i don't have to accept any of these changes i don't i had already had oh i had four co-sponsors at the time i only needed two at the ordinance committee it expanded to almost nine co-sponsors and with the word changes and grammatical issues that lawyers were catching I mean, it was, it became very smooth and comfortable once everyone started realizing the sole purpose of this. And they asked me, is this only local businesses or are you doing commercial businesses? And I'm like, everything. They go, so all food establishments. I go, yeah, you have to do all food establishments. Otherwise, if you don't, it's unethical because now you're targeting small restaurants and mom and pop LLCs and sole proprietors, but the corporations, they get away with it. Food chains get away with it. Chain restaurants get away with it. I was like, no. Equal level playing fields for all. And it would have been illegal too. Once I argued that and I proved my point, they were like, okay, it became unanimous. And ordinance committee had approved it. And we went for another reading and before that other reading, we had to change a couple of words. One of my co-sponsors, Peter Gold, he's the RTM representative in District 5, went to NYU, was a contract employee lawyer for 30-something years in Manhattan. This guy, can he can pick out any grammatical error, any choice word. I mean, he went through it again, and it's always good to have an extra set of eyes. I had people that I trusted who went through it. It was not only Peter Gold, Lauren Karp, Randy Briggs, Kristen Schneeman, uh, Wendy Bateau. I mean, it was it was amazing the amount of people that were like, "Wow, he's he's actually onto something. We're onto something. This this could potentially we could potentially be the first town to do this again." And the energy and the excitement was just it was bursting out of town hall, and we had to go back for ordinance committee, we made the changes. It was approved unanimously. And we were going to have the, we had the first reading again, I believe it was April. And we caught this one little, one little tidbit, instead of saying, or businesses, it has to read and businesses, because it actually locks in all food establishments. That was the trick. It was to get all food establishments to all sign on. It's not just certain businesses because within the actual ordinance, the way it was written was that it was to show that it was going to support all businesses. And from there, it, it's, it discussed how uh, all, all food establishments within the town of Westport uh, limits shall abide to the single-use plastics law where all food establishments, concession stands, cafeterias, diners, um, it was... It, it literally had almost every single word that you could think of that covered food establishments. And there was one little word that threw us off. And it was perfect timing because we had an individual who came out and spoke in opposition of it, which you are entitled to. And I had no problem, except nothing the individual said was factual. Why is that? What he said was, this is not the problem of the United States. This is Asia's problem. I'm like, how is this Asia's problem? He goes, the top 10 largest rivers in the world 
have the most single-use plastics are all in China, are in India, are in Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Korea, Japan. And I'm thinking to myself, does this guy have any idea where single-use plastics go? They all go to the Asian continent. Why is that? Because a decade or two ago now, municipalities used to sell their recyclables for up to like $30, $40 a ton. Towns were making money. It was going into renewable technology, waste technology, compacting these plastics recyclables. They were getting carted and shipped off. They were buying our waste as fast as you can imagine. It was like the Cabbage Patch Kids of the 1980s. Plastic was flying off the waste stations. And then slowly, landfills started to get full. And there became a slowing in the Asian market, $30 a ton, $20 a ton, $10 a ton. Then it was zero. We were given away for free. And then we were starting to get charged to take away this waste. Went from $10, $20. At the time I passed the ordinance, $74, $78 a ton just to get rid of recyclables. So in lieu of his argument that he tried to pose, it was a speech off of a website and wanted to protect single-use plastics from being removed. It was probably someone from the single-use plastics industry. And I had actually been warned that lobbyists were going to attend this meeting and speak in opposition and tear it apart. And they never did because it would have looked horrible on their part, given that the the topic was trending so largely and they were never going to make it because the town had publicized it. But like no one showed up except for that one person. That one individual off the record had apologized for his rampant speech of fake, you know, we, we know this term, fake news <laughs> article that he got off the internet. And that was April 23rd. We were in budget season in May of 2018 and we had got it back to the ordinance we changed the and businesses and it was submitted. And the final read was that night. It was May 6th. May 7th, I had the presentation. I presented to the town the ordinance, the purpose of it, the structure, why we are doing this. And it went off smoothly. I sat down. I had testimony from students from Miss Ashley Moran's class, one of the members of P3. Greg Naughton's son, even uh, Mr. Naughton himself spoke. Members on the RTM had spoken. Random members throughout the town of Westport. Surfriders organization had showed up with uh, Jack Egan and Rachel Precious of uh, Precious Clams, who is in the uh, aquatic marine industry. She does clamming in oysters. And it came down to the final vote, and it was unanimous. And May 7th of 2018, Westport, Connecticut was the first town east of California, Oregon, and Washington State to pass a complete and total single-use plastics ban. Yeah, so Andrew, you said uh, a while ago uh, when you were talking about the straws, you said this was everything, and you just talked about a comprehensive single-use plastics ban. So just, just tell us, what does that mean? When you say everything. So when you look at single-use plastics that are popular that are popular today, straws, utensils, clamshells, 
also known as the little to-go containers, stirs. Uh, 90% of the population here listening goes to Starbucks. You get your tall, venti, mocha, choca latte. If you guys haven't picked up yet, I do not drink coffee and I do not go to Starbucks. But they always offer plastic straws and plastic stirrers. Can you imagine taking a stirrer that is made out of non-renewable resources, is made out of polypropylene styrene, contains chemicals that we are not aware of, just to stir your coffee or tea for five to 10 seconds where it gets thrown um, in the garbage. Can you imagine taking a stir that you only use for five seconds and you just throw it out? You have taken a product that is going to last over 100 years. Scientifically, it'll last the average human lifespan by nine times and we'll either end up in a landfill or we'll end up being burned. And I couldn't just make it about straws. It would have been useless to me. All right, yeah, you banned straws, cool. Guess what I'm drinking out of? A plastic cup. Oh, look at these utensils, they're plastic. Oh, look at these plastic clamshells that I'm getting from restaurants for to-go. Yeah, we banned straws, but we're gonna, we're gonna do other things. I was like, it's all or nothing. I started looking at straws. You go to establishments, there's 18 different types of straws out there. They go from paper, cardboard, metal, different types of metal. Um, Italian restaurants are using pasta noodles. Um, they are using PLA, which is polylactic acid, which is plant leaf associated, where it looks like plastic, feels like plastic, has the structural integrity of plastic, breaks down on its own over four to six months when introduced to special heat. People were using rubber, people were using plants. I mean, it was straws I was, I was sold on. And I got to utensils. Most utensils in food establishments are metal, reusable. You can wash them. They're sanitized. They go back on the table. Lifespan, it can last forever. Start thinking to myself, how often do restaurants really need to give out utensils when they're doing to-go? Most of the time, you're taking the food and you're bringing it home. However, there are those who like to live wild and they go on a picnic or they bring it to the beach. And you're allowed to do that and it's fine, but you can have utensils for that too. So I thought to myself, all right, what are some alternatives for utensils? There's wood. What is that wood made out of? You know, it's made out of wood. Are we talking about fiber wood, actual wood? Are we cutting down trees for it? Um, was that wood introduced to any type of chemicals from pesticides? I mean, wood absorbs and it locks in what it's drinking from the earth. If it's in the earth, it's going to be absorbed by trees and plants. And I thought to myself, you know, that's, that could be a little dangerous. Some people are allergic to certain types of woods. And I'm like, all right, this is more dangerous. And they are coated with a PFA. And I'm like, all right, I can't win. And I thought to myself, you know what? Utensils are very limited. So why don't we just do on a basis where you have to ask for the utensils? Why not? Economically, it's you're saving the restaurants because the restaurants, oh, we have these to-go utensils, but we only give them the patrons if they ask for it. That's great. You're saving money. So from there, we had, I had straws, I had utensils, clamshells. There's so many alternatives to clamshells and to-go containers. 
So I have alternatives. And what I was doing was I was printing, I was creating these uh, diagrams to give out to restaurants to look for uh, certain products and even certain places where you can pick it up from. And I gave it to the town of Westport after I passed the ordinance. And we were doing emails and physical paper documents through Westport Western Health District and Conservation Commission to help these establishments find other products. So I had all my bases covered and I had further proof when I made my argument to the town on May 7th of 2018, why we should ban single use plastics. So Andrew, when the ordinance was passed, I believe you gave the restaurants a certain period of time to make that conversion, right? Yeah, it was six months. Six months. And uh, were you able to hold to that? Of the 234 registered food establishments in the town of Westport, there were 11 food establishments that asked for extensions. That was it. That was it. And it was, it went very smoothly. And a lot of those establishments had already uh, switched over and did switch over. I had one little pushback from one food establishment because her food establishment was solely based on not only really good food, but the display, the presentation. She wanted the food to be displayed and presented in a plastic container so that everyone could see it. I think that's a complete waste. And her argument was, well, what are they going to, how are they going to hold their food when they're on the train or they're driving? I go, wax paper. You can get a hundred sheets of wax paper for 39 cents right now. Your plastic containers, what is it like almost a penny each? And you're buying a hundred of them for over several dollars. I go, this is completely, this is not cost effective. And it is I think it's completely wasteful because yes, I know you want to make a display, but guess what? You have a display case where this food is. I mean, what's the point? And through a little bit of conversation and showing her how other establishments are doing it, she was able to pull it off successfully. And you were talking about a number of dates previously. I believe those were in the year 2018. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. 2018. And then you had six months for conversion and uh, things went uh, relatively smoothly and the ordinance is still in place and uh, it's adopted across all these food establishments in the town of Westport. Yeah, and towns such as Old Saybrook, Groton, Norwich, Greenwich, Fairfield, Easton and Reading, Seymour, Shelton, Monroe, Trumbull have actually been reaching out to the town of Westport. So what's great is that not only was this publicized in the media, it was picked up by other news sources across the country. Town Hall was getting calls every day about the ordinance. And you can go to the town hall website, westportct.gov. You go on the town hall site. You can go to the town clerk's page, Conservation Commission, and it's actually one of the first things that pops up the actual law itself. And a lot of uh, towns were stat were um, adopting it and were in the process of enacting it. But due to COVID, I haven't really heard anything recently. Unfortunately, a lot of legislation, as you may, as you all know, has been subsided to deal with a much, a much more important issue going on in this nation as we speak. And it's unfortunate, but it's it's not going to die. It's not going to stop. This this is going to keep going. I'm very happy to see that this ordinance is being adopted and enacted. I've I've even had 
before COVID, I used to, when we used to be able to gather in public, Liz Milwee had invited several people to her home from all over the state of Connecticut to discuss it. And a lot of towns have been steadily working on trying to enact it. And I believe the most recent was Norwich and Groton. They adopted my ordinance. Um, I believe Old Saybrook, Essex, Colchester, we're working on that too. One of my major supporters, our state representative, Jonathan Steinberg, was going to introduce this legislation to the state of Connecticut. But COVID hit, other things happened. Sure. Well, that's great because I, I was, those are two of my questions, uh, my, my next questions, which you've answered uh, relative to other towns in the state, as well as I assume this was publicly available information for people to uh, look at the ordinance and possibly adopt it in their in their own towns. Now, what about uh, have you by chance heard of uh, towns outside of the state? Um, not not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is actually a funny story. So I would call up Patty Strauss, our beloved Westport town clerk, and she would tell me, Andrew, do you know your ordinance is flooding my office with phone calls right now from across the country? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, there are people calling from New York, Long Island, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, the Carolinas, um, Alabama, Mississippi. She said, there are people calling from all over the United States right now about this. And I was like, Really? She goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, there was a town on the West Coast that called. They wanted to adopt your ordinance and they wanted to, hopefully they had some questions regarding because they're currently being sued. And I go, well, what happened? What's wrong? And there was, what was the issue with their ordinance? They go, um, the, uh, there was a ADA issue with their ordinance. There was no inclusionary exemption for those that are handicapped and disabled. And the town was getting sued and that started to become a trend on the West coast. And they looked to mine and they thought, Oh, well, if he did his, if he did this ordinance, they're going to have the same problem. You go into my ordinance, second page bottom says right there. Anyone that is disabled and handicapped is reserved the right to the use of a plastic straw for their medical abilities that are not to be expelled or shared or questioned by any restaurant at all due to HIPAA. So they, I think a lot of people were adopting just that single piece of my ordinance and throwing it into theirs, which is completely fine. I don't care. It's for the greater good. And I think, I think a lot of, I think these establishments, these towns are much better off now with that. And I mean, I haven't heard anything in the past year, but I'm sure once this is, once COVID is all over, we'll, We'll get we'll get back to normal, and eventually we'll be uh, we'll be sharing information about single use plastics and other ordinances that I'm trying to work on right now, and other ideas that I have that are going to be coming up in the next year. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, I, I would imagine, and, and I would hope that uh, towns in other states would uh, would take advantage of uh, the work you did and. Uh, adopt this. Uh, it, it's a great, great success story. Now, uh, another question for you. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with some other environmental laws uh, in recent years that uh, 
were passed locally and then were preempted at the state level, which blew my mind that uh, a town could pass an ordinance, but then the state would uh, basically overrule that. Uh, I, I don't think we have that issue with this ordinance in the state of Connecticut, but uh, you care to comment on that at all? I think, and this is no disrespect to anyone in the state legislature, I think the state of Connecticut is out of touch with the people's needs. Now, if you go back to the preemption law in the 1980s, or I believe it was 1970s that was enacted, there is a hand, uh, actually, I'm sorry, more than a handful of states where certain laws cannot preempt the state. One that disturbs me is pesticides. In the last couple of years, Roundup had became a major discussion in courts talking about a product this is has glyphosate it it can literally it eats away at your insides when you're exposed to it you the cancers that you that you will develop it's almost as if you have walked into a nuclear waste facility and you come out and you are you're pretty much terminally ill right off the bat after i passed the single-use plastics ordinance i started working on pesticides and I had a, I wrote, I sound crazy. I wrote the ordinance and I thought it was great. And then I started investigating uh, state law and Connecticut is one of the 39 or 41 states where a preemption law states that the towns cannot pass anything stronger than the state in regard to environment restrictions. If you look at the state of Florida, you look at uh, Coconut Grove and um, one part of Miami. Uh, there's another town down there. I forget. I haven't. I haven't seen the research in a while, but they passed a law where glyphosate products, Roundup specifically, but any product containing glyphosate or pesticides that contain certain pesticides are banned and outlawed. And what they did was actually similar to what I did. Look at the EU. They've already banned these products. They've banned glyphosate, chlorpyphrous. Um, they banned these outrageous chemicals. And meanwhile, in the United States, I think there's like not even 18 chemicals that are, that are completely cancerous and dangerous, and they're not banned. Meanwhile, in Europe, there's over there's hundreds of chemicals and you wonder why their food is so wholesome and nutritious over there and why it's so safe to eat i mean in the united states you got to wash your food off before you eat it and if you think about what they're spraying onto these foods how do you know that it's not being absorbed how do you know that bugs aren't eating this and then it ends up in food it ends up in the ground and then that gets absorbed and then we're eating it i mean the whole pesticides thing is, it's disturbing. And it's, it's really sad that I'm, I'm stuck. I've spoken to people in the legislature. Um, Wendy Bateau, the chair of the Environment Committee, has been steamrolling through this, trying to find ways to ban pesticides. Um, she has been in touch with 
a lot of people. She has great research along with Ellen Lautenberg, another RTM representative in Westport. Um, for those who don't know Ellen Lautenberg, her father was Frank Lautenberg, the senator from New Jersey, who was the founder of not only a children's hospital and research facility for pesticides and cancers, but had created a list in the 1980s that banned certain chemicals at the federal level. And it's because of her father, uh, there's already been a lot of great work done, but we, we need to start that up again. We need, to, we need to get in touch with these practices that we think are efficient and effective and great, but in reality, they are completely dangerous to humans and they're reckless. So that was one thing that I had to put off. And another one that I'm researching right now is uh, leaf blowers. Um, for those who are not aware, pollinator pathways are being destroyed across the United States. Leaf blowers are, there's two types. There's two stroke and four stroke. Two stroke is a fuel and oil that is mixed together. Um, the exhaust um, has a spark arrestor on the inside. It does not really um, catch the carbon as it leaves the leaf blower. It is actually carcinogenic. What comes out of it, the exhaust is highly carcinogenic. It is not, um, it's not filtered like a, um, like a car. Cars have uh, catalytic converters that actually heat up the uh, exhaust gas fumes on the inside and it actually reduces carbon emissions. Leaf blowers are putting out way more carbon emissions than, than normal. They are also, the decibels that they produce are anywhere from uh, 35 decibels to 90 decibels, even 108 decibels. Um, there have been lawsuits where people didn't have personal protection equipment, also known as PPE. What they are also doing is that they are destroying the the way the environment works. For those who are not aware, in the Northeast and the Northwest and the North pretty much where you have leaves that fall off the trees, guess what? The leaves fall to the ground. They die. They break up. It gets absorbed into the ground. And it is uh, the nutrients from that is absorbed by the soil and it produces plants. It produces life. And what has become the practice is that green lawn. But the green lawn is naturally, it's not natural. Chemicals, herbicides, fertilizers, pesticides. To have a healthy lawn or a healthy uh, yard, the leaves just fall on the ground and you can mulch them they'll, with rain. They'll decay, they'll break down, they'll get absorbed. You'll have green grass. You don't need all this stuff that you're buying from Home Depot and Lowe's. And I've begun research with uh, leaf blowers. I have a great team that I'm working with of uh, Miss Valerie Sealing Jacobs, who has been spearheading leaf blower research for the last three to four years. Uh, Tony McDowell of Earthplace um, has also been heavily involved in research. Uh, Miss Kristen Seaman of the uh, RTM has also been um, working on this with me and Valerie and Tony. And we are looking to uh, possibly have some type of ordinance that outlaws and bans gas-powered leaf blowers. So this is something that's in the making as we speak. Um, not sure when or where this will happen, even if it will happen, but there's a possibility for another ordinance and for Westport to be the first town again in the state of Connecticut to do something about this okay great yeah and what i what i was really asking was 
I, I think it's a, a moot point, but in the state of Connecticut, but you never know, and it certainly could be a, a, a point elsewhere with different uh, uh, state governments where uh, some sort of environmental law is passed, like it was passed in Westport, and then the state preempts that. They override it, and uh, t to your knowledge, that's—I uh, mean—that would be nonsensical. But that's—that's uh, that's not likely to happen. This is not likely to happen. No. The state of Connecticut is—they are—they're—they're they're way behind. Towns are leading the state. Essentially, it's town governments that are leading the state. The town—the gov town governments are leading the state, they're leading the people. They are the proactive, progressive um, individuals, uh, grassroots enthusiasts and activists that are, that are way, ahead the, way ahead of the state where they really are. So a preemption, I don't see one yeah. ha ever happening. Okay, so um, as we get towards the end of our conversation, uh, I just wanted to offer up a couple points. Uh, when you started, uh, uh, this great conversation today, you were talking about uh, humans consuming plastic, and I think anyone that, that follows plastic, uh, and you talked about microplastics, uh, there's been a, a statement in the recent, in the last year, I guess it was, where uh, people are figuring you're eating about a credit card worth of plastic per week, depending upon your diet. But I wanted to bring this up because I had the uh, opportunity to moderate a panel at MIT, MIT Water Summit last year, and uh, <clears throat> two days dedicated just to plastic in the environment, which is quite fascinating. Um, and of course, the plastic that you are now preventing uh, in the town of Westport, you know, that does break down in the environment, including in the water environment, the aquatic environment, which is what we focus on at Future Frogmen, and then fish eat it, other other organisms eat it, and, you know, it goes through the, the life cycle, basically. So that's yet another reason why we need to, uh, you know, protect ourselves and, and fight the use of this single use plastic so wasteful and on top of that well I was astonished because brilliant minds in this room but and uh, the panel I had was the EPA NOAA and uh, a great uh, uh, professor from University of Illinois uh, who focuses on uh, toxic uh, chemicals and particularly plastic but the uh, there's they're still learning about the impact of plastic in the environment. Uh, there's some knowledge in the sediment of the sea and some knowledge about at the surface, but the water column in between is, is still uh, an area that uh, many groups are working on understanding. And of course, that's where a lot of the life would be, uh, specifically the fish. So I just kind of wanted to share that with the audience. and. Also, on our website, uh, futurefrogmen.org, uh, I'm looking right now at uh, brain food, the chemical finding its way into your food and beverages. This is an interview we did, a podcast we did with Brian Adams in New Haven, Connecticut, of the Brain Institute of America. And we talked about uh, a, a number of things, but the impact of the chemicals within the plastic and you know we now we see bpa free which uh, we would think would be uh, 
a good, a good thing, and it, it is a good thing, but unfortunately the BPA has been replaced with other acronyms, other chemicals that are, are finding its way, their way into uh, some of the packaging, uh, some of the water bottles and so forth that we drink from. So just wanted to offer that. And uh, I, I guess in closing, Andrew, uh, for some reason, because I really, I think this is going to be helpful to people that might want to uh, work on this in their own communities. Uh, just another lesson learned. I wanted to ask you, by chance, are there any mistakes that you might have made or anything you would have done differently that you can share? And then any other kind of closing thoughts you'd like to make? I don't think there's anything I would have changed about this ordinance in the process. It was, it sounds minute, but to me, this was my Rudy Rudiger story. Is, is this was something that I wanted to do. I had to do. I dreamed about it. I went to sleep thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. It's all I, it was literally, it was exhausting. It was in my life every day. And the people that I met along the way that I've become friends with have helped me and shaped me to grow. And they were, they are certainly a positive influence on my, um, uh, my advancement in life. Um, they've, there's, yeah, there is nothing I would change. And th th it was a gift. It honestly was. Every day was a gift. Whether it was a conversation with Greg, um, being invited to Liz Milby's house just before the 4th of July fireworks, um, Ashley Moran invited me into her classroom to speak to her students. It has opened up doors for me. Um, it has, I've, I think I've, it, I found my calling in life and being on the RTM has opened up, like I said, it has opened up doors for me. I've applied to Fairfield University. Um, I got accepted into the uh, graduate program. It's, it's actually a fellowship program for public administration. I am currently a grad assistant for the political science department. Um, I was just um, elected to the uh, graduate Senate, uh, student Senate, and um, it has, th this ordinance and the hard work and the goal at the end, it, it was, it's more, I'll tell you right now, if you are passionate and you love what you're doing, the end goal and the success is not just about name recognition and being in the media and being like popular. It's, it, it's seeing the end result, seeing the improvement in human life, seeing the improvement in the way business is conducted. It'll just open doors for you. And there's not one thing I regret about the entire process for anyone who is listening. If, if you are young, if you are old, if you feel that you want to be involved in your community, please do. In any way, there are so many ways to be involved in your community from hosting trash picks like I used to before COVID to being elected to office, to volunteering, uh, being a youth advocate. Um, there's 
get involved in your town. For anyone who is listening, get involved in your town. It, it, takes, it takes a village to clean the village, but it takes a town to lead the world. And I think all of us have this energy and this ability to lead. And whether you want to lead youth, you want to lead the elderly, you want to lead um, those who aren't fiscally advanced as others, if you want to lead on a humanitarian level, if you want to lead, um, just find a way to lead because we need it. We seriously do need it. There's, there's 7 billion people in this world. We all have great ideas. And the worst thing you can do is say no to leading because not trying is a guaranteed no. Not applying your ideas, you'll never know what you could have made. You'll never know what impact you could have had on life. You'll never know if you could have saved or helped someone. It's just the opportunities are endless, they're limitless. And for anyone listening, just find something that you love. And I tell everyone this, we need the earth. The earth doesn't need us. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Blue Earth Podcast. If you like what we do and want to see more, you can check us out at www.futurefrogman.org. You can find us on social media at Future Frogman, and we release episodes every week. So until next time, remember, anyone can be an ocean ambassador. Thanks. <laughs>